Well, this morning is a special morning, not only because we have moved locations, but it's also uh, unique in the fact that I've invited a special guest to join me in the sermon this morning. I've invited a gentleman named Sandy Cress. Sandy has been teaching at the 9.30 hour at Christian Perspectives in the Dearman class over something called the Torah Cycle. And uh, I've developed a friendship with Sandy over the last uh, year or so and have truly enjoyed our friendship. We get together and talk about scripture, and we just kind of geek out over scripture. And I need to give you a warning. On Tuesday, we got together to talk through the scripture for this Sunday, and we talked for two and a half hours. Get comfortable. Can't cancel your lunch plans. We'll call in Domino's or something. Um, Sandy, just to kind of give a little snapshot of who he is and where he comes from, he uh, went to law school here at UT and was student body president during his time here. So you could call him a longhorn, maybe. Uh, after that, he spent some time in D.C. practicing law, and he, he also practiced law in Dallas and in Austin. Outside of law, he also has, a, uh, has had experience working within government. He w- worked as, uh, dur- during the Carter administration as the Deputy Assistant Secretary at the U.S. Treasury Department. And then during George W. Bush's time, he was the Senior Education Advisor to the White House. So he has a huge uh, appetite and desire and passion around education. He also served as the Dallas School Board President. Uh, lately, he's been turning his passion and his time and his energy towards Scripture. He has a love of Scripture. He comes from the Jewish tradition, and we have so much to learn uh, from our Jewish brothers and sisters about how they see our sacred text. So at this time, would you please join me in welcoming Sandy? All right, Sandy, thank you for being here. Good to be here, Pastor. This is our third time to do this, so we have finally figured it out. Best for last. That's right. Those poor 815 people. <laughs> they, what, a, what a mistake. Just kidding. <laughs> we had a great time. No, uh, so would you mind, let's just kind of kick this off. Would you mind sharing what, what this idea of a Torah cycle is and where you are in it right now? You bet, Pastor. Uh, Let me just first say uh, what a joy it's been for me to be here with you and and those who are studying the Bible together in the Dearman class and in Christian Perspectives. Dearman led by Charlene Heidegger and just some fabulous Bible students and uh, Christian Perspectives led by Mike Irvin. Um, I don't think I've ever done better Bible study uh, than I've done with you. And I want to encourage you, uh, it's just a little bit of time before now. Uh, to join us. Um, The Bible is God's word for all of us. There are some incredible students who've been doing this for a long time, but the Bible speaks to uh, those who are new to it too. So uh, it's been fabulous. During this year, uh, we've committed ourselves to studying the entire Hebrew Bible, uh, which is done in portions. So we take a little piece, and then we take a little piece the next week, and we will work our way through the five books uh, before the end of the year. Uh, We're finishing the third book today with you. Uh, I must tell you that this was a little bit easier going uh, when we were dealing with uh, uh, more uh, well-known stories in Genesis and Exodus. Uh, But I surprised the class a little bit when we came to the third book, and I said, this is my favorite book. 
And they were sitting there thinking, this guy's crazy. I'm not sure we should continue to have him teach. Leviticus? Because that would be Leviticus. <laughs> that would be animal sacrifice. That would be, we didn't talk about this in our others, leprosy. That would be uh, ancient rituals. And I said, okay, okay, let me start with this. Uh, and it was a very important theme for us in our study and I think for our discussion today. The Hebrew word for this book is not Leviticus. The Hebrew word for this book is Vayikra, which means God calls. And I said, now, wouldn't it be more appetizing to think of this book we're about to study if you understood that it's about God calling us? And we began then to look at those sacrifices. And we applied a rule of exegesis that comes from the Hasids. I won't get into who they are, but it's a lovely little way of thinking about the Bible. Look at the clothes and look at the body, but go deeper under the words to the soul of what God's trying to tell us. And what we found as we got into the sacrifices was it's not, we're not doing animals and grains anymore, but we do what you did this morning. You came, you worshiped, you sang, you passed the offering plate, you brought someone in to talk about service to God and others. <coughs> you know, these are offerings. These are what draw us near to God. And in fact, that's what this book's about. God calls us to draw us near. That's what the book's about. And that's basically what we've studied uh, uh, to, to start with. Yeah. It would be helpful if that were the name. Because Leviticus, for me, <laughs> there, I've, there have been several times in my life where I'm, I'm going to read through the book of the, I'm going to read through the whole Bible. Genesis, Exodus, I'm doing great. Leviticus, I just stall out. Yeah. <laughs> my eyes glaze over and I just pick up another devotional book instead of that. Well, let me give you a secret. Yeah. Jews do too. <laughs> <laughs> so they're missing out on the big secret as well. But not at Westlake Hills Presbyterian. Not, not the Jews here? No, no, no. <laughs> No, the worshipers at Westlake okay, Hills. Okay, gotcha. Well, it is helpful for us if we were to make that lens of Vaikra. Vaikra, God calling us to be near, to draw us to be near. That it's really helpful for us to read and understand. If that's the meta narrative, then let's understand everything that comes alongside of it. Absolutely. So, just to get us to where we're going to study today yeah. in our reading, what just happened? Yeah. Well, we, we studied, so this is interesting. So God calls us to be near and shows us how, but this is beautiful. We just finished studying two things I want to tell you about very quickly. One is, we do stray, and, that, and you had that prayer of confession. We do stray. God wants us back, and God gives us avenues back, and we studied that. God wants us to always come near and is particularly interested in our coming near when we've gone, when mm -hmm. we've strayed. But then we get to the middle of the book, and this is the one that's most exciting and I think surprising to some students. You get to the very middle of this book, which is the very middle of the Hebrew Bible, and what do you find? The golden rule. The golden rule is there. And it's in a discussion of holiness. God says, I am holy and you should be holy too. And then proceeds to walk up to the golden rule and then walk away from it with lessons. Now, these are not parables, but they're lovely little lessons to have in mind. So what are they? Let me give you a few illustrations. One is, uh, leave the corners of your field for those in need. Now, we don't have cor most of us don't have corners of fields, 
But we do have things in our closet that we're no longer wearing anymore. Those aren't really ours. We need to think about what the corners of the field are. We're not to put stumbling blocks in front of the blind. Think about all the ways that could be interpreted. We're not to keep a day laborer's wages overnight. Now, if we started seeing, we're to not to treat animals with cruelty. Once we begin to understand that those aren't just dry laws or commandments, those are directionals as to how we're to be in our mind and in our soul when we understand that we're to love others as we love ourselves. And God is telling us to curb the bloated soul, that, uh, the, the bloated self. That is to say, don't spend so much time with all your fields and whatever you want and everything that is important to you. Save time, save energy, save your resources. Love yourself, I love you, but save time and save space to love your neighbor. That's where we build. Yeah, I love that phrase, the bloated self. Because that, that way, that thing is about our natural tendency to care for our own comforts, our own provision, our own whatever. And the beautiful thing is, you guys just studied the golden rules. As easy it is to love yourself, right. as, e- as, e- as easy it is to be bloated in yourself, now take that same ability and turn it towards other and by the way that's how you draw near to me exactly and that's that's the kicker and that's how that's what holiness is i mean we can think about holiness in sacred terms and sacred objects and so and it is but to think that god says holiness is mostly that i'm holy you should be holy and it's in how you live with each other yeah it's whether you care for the foster children that we were told earlier today. yeah and the interesting thing for me is even the pursuit of holiness could be a self fulfilling, navel-gazing, self-bloating exercise, exactly. right? Right. Yeah, because it's like oftentimes when you think of holiness, you're spiritual like, thing. I'm doing all these things, here's my tick list, and I'm, do- I'm not doing all this. But, and then the beautiful thing about in the middle of Leviticus of yeah. all things, yeah. if you truly want to be holy, it's not only about you and your life, but it's about you and your relationship with others, and I'm connected in that. Absolutely. All right, so if the that's... three-way partnership. Yeah, the three-way partnership. So if that's the, the, where we're just coming from, these are the last three chapters of Leviticus that we're studying today. It's too long for us. Like I said, two and a half hours would be wonderful for us, and <laughs> Sandy and I might be fine with it, but not you. Um, so we, only, we chose a couple small passages to look at and to discuss. Um, and remember, the big lens that we're looking at this through is Vayikra, the call to be drawn near to the Lord. So our scripture, first scripture reading comes from uh, Exodus 25. We're just reading the first seven verses. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, the hired workers and temporary residents who live among you, as well as for your livestock, the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. I'm sure if when I was... Younger, and I'd read over this as I was trying to get through uh, this section to get to the more, you know, relatable passages. I would have probably read this and gone, 
well, whatever. <laughs> I mean, what, how can we even do that? And, you know, how could we even take a, a full year off? I mean, now that sounds wonderful. It sounds like something you, the Europeans might do. <laughs> but we, in America, we're not afforded that opportunity. Um, so can you share a little bit about what this, actual, what this practice actually looked like? Back, back for that nation in that time? Well, this is one of the beautiful things about the Bible. Actually, this sabbatical year was really not lived by many people for very long. In fact, it, there's some evidence of it being experienced in the second temple period. But you would have thought it would have been in the first temple or when, uh, when, the, when the Hebrews came into the land. It wasn't. And that in itself, I think, is the first message, which is that God is talking to us about ideals, about values, about things that are important to find meaning in, in our own time, as they did then. And I want you to think a little bit about the Sabbath as an entry point. That is to say that we take time every week. We may not take the whole day on Sunday or for Jews on Saturday. We may not do it all day. But you've taken time to come in the rains here today. You've listened to the choir. You've made an offering. You, you're praying to God. You've taken You've taken time out of your busy work week. You've separated a day and basically said, I'm not 24-7 to the machine, to the accumulation, to the productivity. I'm going to take time. I'm going to be with God. I'm going to be refreshed. I'm going to be restored. I'm going to be with community in the values that matter most. That's really a little bit about what the sabbatical year is about. It's inviting us to think about doing it in bigger chunks of time and space. Turn the machine off. 24-7, the idea that we're 24-7 for material things, if we're going to be 24-7 for anything, the Bible says be 24-7 for God and with God. And that is our call. So the more time we spend, one day a week, sometime every seventh year, periodically, now we're not going to give the land its rest because we, we're not farmers. But can we take a little less time rising the ladder? Can we say to ourselves and our bosses that we have faith in God and we want some time to go on a mission, to go donate some time to the foster care organization, to help Mike and Charlene build Bible study at the church, to do other ways of uh, service in bigger chunks of time, the idea being God wants us to spend more using the Sabbath, using the sabbatical year to bring sacred time more and more into regular time. That's what we're being asked to do. Yeah, you mentioned the, over coffee on Tuesday, Sandy mentioned the word sacralizing, sacri- sacralizing, sacralizing. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, that's not a word. And he <laughs> typed in his phone and goes, yes, yeah, here it is. It's sacralizing. We had this beautiful conversation around this idea of the Sabbath is about taking the sacred, not only here at Mount Sinai, as we read in first verse 1, but actually taking that into the rest of our life, mm-hmm. setting aside a day where we are to practice and usher in the, the sacred, and to even do that in a year, for a whole year. Uh, it's to experience a taste of what heaven is uh, here and now, and uh, that, it's so funny because when we talk about it, or even for us, we talk about setting aside a day in a week or a year every seven years, how many of us go, that sounds fantastic. That's something I need. Yet there's something deep within us that 
when we get on the edge. We have the gift of Sabbath every week. We have the gift of Sabbath in our life, period. But many of us, we have a hard time engaging that. We, we wrestle with that invitation. Why is that? Why is one of the ways to ask this question is, why is practicing Sabbath take faith? Why does that take faith? Well, I think part of it is that we've gotten used to the call and the demands of the material world. We live in the material world. Please understand, I've lived a practical life, and I know you have jobs, and you have to earn a living. God expects you to, too. But this idea of being addicted to it, mm-hmm. uh, owned by it, controlled by it, this is saying, no, uh, we're, we're servants of God, not of getting the extra edge in production. And if we have that faith, uh, God will, as God provided manna in the wilderness, God will provide for us. Uh, and we'll provide for ourselves. In fact, I want to make the point that I think we're healthier. I think God knows we're healthier spiritually, emotionally, physically when we rest and are restored in God's values. Mm -hmm. We come back more productive. Uh, But if we think of ourselves as the machine that ceaselessly runs, that is not God's expectation of us. God will help us in the sixth and seventh years. God will support us if we live by the values and by the uh, ways that God has laid out. One of the ways in which I think about that is a muscle. When, when is a muscle strengthened? When do you build muscle? And I used to think, not that you could tell, <laughs> but it's when, you're, it's when you're doing your workout, it's when your muscle is being used and stretched, when you're, it's breaking down, but that's actually not when it, the muscle builds. The muscle builds in rest. Yeah. That's an actually when it's built up. And for us, I mean, I just think we're living in this machine. And, uh, but yet it's in the rest where we're, we're built up, we're restored. It reminds me of Psalm 23, 1 through 3. This speaks to me of the idea of Sabbath. Mm-hmm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down. Makes me. <laughs> Sabbath. Commandments, one of the big commandments, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. That's what Sabbath is really about, shutting the machine down and realizing that we're not just machines, but we're people created to live in rhythm, right? Absolutely. And though we're called and though, we're, uh, and though we offer and grow, grow near, God gives us this as a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift. You know, we get into more difficult waters in this passage. Uh, Let me read a few verses, uh, and then I want to ask you a question about uh, these issues that come toward the end of the book, the blessings and the curses. So we won't read all of 26, 3 through 17, but we'll read in chapter 26. If you follow my laws and faithfully observe my commandments, I will grant your rains in their season so that the earth shall yield its produce and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing shall overtake the vintage, and your vintage shall overtake the sowing. You shall eat your fill of bread and dwell securely in your land. It goes further, these blessings. I will establish my abode in your midst, and I will not spurn you. It will be ever-present in your midst. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. But... If you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, if you reject my laws and spurn my rules, that you do not observe them and you break my covenant, 
in, I in turn will do this to you. I will wreak misery upon you, consumption and fever, which cause the eyes to pine and the body to languish. You shall sow your seed to no purpose, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you. You shall be routed by your enemies, and your foes shall dominate you. You shall flee, though no one pursues. Now, Pastor, here's my question. And I think I bet this is on the minds of several folks here. If a person just read this, fresh on the surface, wouldn't a normal reaction be to be upset with the Bible and or God? After all, bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Isn't the promise of these blessings and curses either false and or cruel? I think we love the first part of that. (laughs) Our threshing will never have to cease. We won't have any need. We love that part, but it's the idea of cursing. And perhaps the whole notion of a God blessing and cursing. There's, I think there's a couple faults in reading this. One is a fault of thinking that you could put God in a box. Mm-hmm. That anytime I do right and I'm obedient, then I'm expecting material blessings. And likewise, whenever I mess up or whenever I see someone else mess up, I or they deserve cursing, right? Mm-hmm. Curses. And so you kind of figure out this, 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 almost this method of how God blesses and curses. And I think for us, either we would totally reject that and reject what this is saying. We would fear God, never have a relationship, but just have a relationship based upon fear. Or we would believe it, and then we would see enough life to happen to kind of know that that never is the case. Because we have enough people who are faithful, obedient, loving people who have to walk through a lot of suffering. And meanwhile, there are a lot of people who seem far from God who experience incredible abundance in this worldly idea of abundance. So there has to be a different way to read this to what you said uh, earlier about uh, looking past the clothing and getting into the soul. There has to be something else in this idea of blessing and cursing and what God longs for God's people to. There, and it has to come back to that call, Vaikro. What is, what is the call of a, of a blessed life? And a cursed life. So what, what, is a, what does a blessed life look like? Well, let me throw some ideas out. And I know you've got some too. Uh, this, uh, I think, does ask us to look deeper. Because what God does for us is not promise us a life without pain. A life without struggle. A life without death. We have all of those things in our lives. God's blessing is to be near us. Is to support us is to strengthen us, is to comfort us, is to be near to us, especially in difficult times in life, right? Especially in difficult times. I do believe that if we obey God and are near to God, we live a better life, but it's not a life. We're we're not all destined to be Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. I don't know of a family that hasn't experienced death. I myself have experienced all kinds of pain and anxiety in my professional life where I'll try to do the good thing, uh, and yet it's painful. Uh, I've experienced death. You all have. Our life is not given to us to be where we're all rich and life is easy. God's blessing, I think, I would suggest these verses are saying, the blessing metaphorically described in rains and grain and abundance, it's spiritual abundance. It's God's love that is just incalculable 
in terms of the richness it provides for us. Whatever is happening to us materially. And likewise, curses, it seems to me, and we've all experienced this, and I know you have ideas about this too. When we choose to abandon God or leave God, we are alone in the worst kind of way. It's a loneliness that is painful, as is described here. I think at a very deep level, we're talking about the promise of being near God. Yes, and it, it's, if that is the lens that we're looking at this whole thing, this idea of this book ending talking about blessing and cursing is this, is, is this indication, maybe even a warning to, uh, to seek a life of blessing. And to your point, listen to the blessing that God seems to be saying, the big A author, as you say, to be saying in this, I will put my dwelling place among you. I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. For me, that's the picture of Genesis, God's original intent mm-hmm. of walking with God's uh, creation and humanity. And this in beautiful, intimate relationship of I am your God and you are my people. So this idea of all these uh, provisions and material abundance is more about the fact that God promises, I'm going to provide for your every need. I'm not going to leave you in want. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. Uh, this is the blessing that this is talking about. Right. But there's a human response. We have to receive this blessing. That's what this seems like because the cursing is right here too. And for me, if this idea of blessing is about being in God's presence, I've experienced a lot of these curses that seem really, <laughs> they seem really scary. But when I look at my life, when I have chosen not to experience what God has intended for me, I've experienced that. So for me, like, when I read this, I've spent too much of my life reading this poorly and reading this incorrectly. I used to think that if I do all the litany of do's and don'ts in this passage, then I should expect God's blessings to come for me. And so I'm just looking at all these do's and don'ts. But instead, what God is saying is, your, your performance doesn't get my blessings or my curses what, what this is saying is that I have marked out a blessed life. It's, it's, this is the blessed life right here. It, this is all about how to live a blessed life. And when you stay within the land I've marked out, you're going to experience my provision, my shalom, the peace and restoration, the wholeness. But you should know that when you wander, when you go far, there is the cursed life. And you're going to experience these type of things, that you're going to have a fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. Mm -hmm. I know when I've spent chapters of my life and I've ran from God, I lost my sight. I didn't understand who I was anymore. I didn't see myself anymore. And my my strength was totally sapped. You flee even when no one is pursuing you. That's a curse. You're running from nothing, from no one. But I've done that. I've done that when I've wandered away from the blessed life that God has marked for me. I've experienced it too much to know that this isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. This is about God's longing for his people to experience, for us as God's people. And that's the invitation to us, right? Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I would just say, in conclusion, so it's not such a bad book after all. (laughs) (laughs) But this idea of God calling... Uh, God wanting us to be near, God always expecting us, finding ways for us, even when we stray or err, to come near, Uh, telling us that it's centrally in holiness about loving the other and living with care for the other. 
and then walking away with a sense that that means a blessing if I live with God. That I, I would say, Vayikra, next time you read it, get into it and enjoy it. <laughs> thank you for thank being you. a blessing you to bet. us. Thank you. Can we thank Sandy? Thank you. Just like Sandy shared, uh, just to kind of close up, the, uh, the calling is in this gracious gift from God is that God has marked out a life for us. And we know this so clearly through the life of Jesus that a life has been marked out for us in this beautiful invitation. Even if you have wandered, even if your life right now seems like a whole lot more of cursing than blessing, this beautiful invitation remains from God. This vayikra, this call, return to me. Return to me. And just like the story of the prodigal son, the father meets the child even before they've returned home, to welcome them home. I don't know where you are in your life, where you are in your spiritual life, where you've been, but this gracious invitation stands before each of us right now, this vayikra, this call to return home, receive every blessing that God wants you to have. Let me say a prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together and for the gift that Sandy has been for our community. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would learn to, to say yes to uh, the blessed life. We pray that you would, uh, would get a handle on the machine and shut it down, that we would learn to rest just like the good shepherd wants us to lay down. I pray, God, that we would be people who would know and experience that, who would know and experience the blessed life and that we would see our uh, union with you through the love and the service to others. We thank you for this time together, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.